Thank you. And thank you all for giving. Would you turn in your Bible, please, to the book of 1 Kings chapter 19. I'm uh, always blessed by the way that the Spirit is so faithful in teaching us His Word and giving us um, ongoing revelation of passages of Scripture that we have relied upon over and over again through the years. Truly, the Word of God is alive, and um, I, I, I'm just so grateful for that miracle of, of having the Word and being willing to listen to what the Spirit would say through the Word. And so there have been myriad teachings that we have enjoyed together uh, concerning this episode in 1 Kings 19 after Elijah had um, seen the hand of the Lord break the drought and uh, also seeing close to a thousand, that's evangelistically speaking, um, demonic prophets eliminated from the land. And that was, that was a high point of obedience, and certainly the miraculous came. Um, but before we read, beginning at verse 19, I want to reiterate that when God does a phenomenal thing, and you see a great breakthrough, be prepared for that spiritual atmosphere because there will be some measure of a drawdown that you feel within you. I mean, you think over and over and over again in the spirit. Um, you know, for instance, there are so many of these, but let's talk, let's talk about Jesus. You know, he'd be ministering. He'd do some phenomenal things as the Father would direct. And then he'd get away. He'd get away, and he'd spend time with the Father. Why do you think that was? Was it just, I mean, i got to get away from these folks for a while. I understand that feeling. But he could have been weary. I understand that feeling, and you do too. I mean, if you're, if you're in ministry or if you're, if you're teaching or whatever, I mean, when you've poured out, you need a reset. You've got to have it, and those who've never done it don't understand that, but it's, it's just true. So you, you have a factor with Elijah of so many different dimensions of uh, finding a culminative point of breakthrough, and, and then, the, then the drawdown that happens. And um, I, I feel for him here. But, but today we want to talk about what was going on inside his thinking. Because I believe that whether we say it or not, um, when we're believing God for something, our mind will think of specific things that we know, quote-unquote, God is going to do when he, when he brings that answer. And how many of the times that we've shared together would we testify that, boy, God moved, he was faithful, he did everything he said he was going to do, but it sure happened in a different way than we thought. Can you imagine during Elijah's life, and leading up to this time, all the ways that God had been ministering through him, he gets the directive to, de to declare drought, no rain. And so what is he thinking during those years that is going to happen when God turns the spigot on again and the rain comes? And what was he thinking would happen when God said, okay, I want you to go up to Carmel, I want you to 
um, to, to, to send the word that you want to have a face-off? Um, what do you think he thought was going to happen after that big breakthrough? In his thinking, what do you think, as a man, or even as somebody who was a, a purist for the ways of the Lord, what do you think he thought would, would happen? And I want to tell you that some of the greatest breakthroughs we have known, and we've known many of them, um, after the breakthrough, and then you have that vacuum moment, which always happens in the spirit realm. It always does. Whether we want to say it's the winter, the onset of the new season, it's going to happen. And if you don't think it's going to happen, there's your first mistake, because it will undertow you. You read about just personal testimonies from, which are very accurate journals of great evangelists or great preachers when they would go into places and then after the meetings the hollowness they felt some of them filled that with things they shouldn't have filled it with and of course you didn't see it up on the stage you know they'd come in God's man and woman of faith and power but when once the meeting ended you have to learn how to deal with that but for Elijah he, he had a great spiritual victory. Can you imagine all the factors that were going on spiritually after the, the, the great time on, on Carmel? Um, you know, you, you just list them off. Things that happened that were cataclysmic in the realm. And all of those things were converging at the same point. In the meantime, he's out running a chariot uh, in the rain. Uh, and, and then all of a sudden it hits him. And, and he, he then hears a word from Jezebel. And, you know, we've talked about how he saw the word and the, the power of these curses. And we've talked about those. I'm not diminishing that. But what was the vulnerability in Elijah? I am sure that he thought, when we have this big showdown on the top of Carmel and God breaks the drought and all of these prophets and probably prophetesses are dead, then, boy, I tell you, things are going to be different. And what a shock when in the natural, they weren't. Here comes this word from this woman whose name means a virgin dedicated to Baal who had corrupted Israel. Here comes this word. This is going to happen to you, buddy. We're coming for you. So Elijah's processing a lot of things. You know the story. We're eventually going to get to verse 9. I just have to reset some things here in our thinking. Um, he, he starts, he starts um, fleeing for his life or positioning himself. And I, again, we could say, well, that was fear. And, and as I said a few weeks ago, uh, this is nothing new for Elijah. They were sending people after him all the time. Just read the scripture. And sometimes the spirit would catch him away, as per what Obadiah said, and move him somewhere else. Um, so this was nothing new, just to have a death threat. It may be for you and me. I pray that that never happens for you. But to flee for his life, the way he had dealt with it in the past was to just say, all right, what do, you, how do you, what do you want to do? There's a lot of different ways of fleeing. Um, the Spirit catches you away. That's, that's a divine fleeing. Uh, but there were other words. You better get out of here. You better move over here right now. And, and you better, uh, in the night, okay, this is going to happen tomorrow, so reposition, make sure you don't go there. Th those are all directives from the Lord. You know, we like to bind and rebuke and cast out so that these types of things never happened. But Elijah was no stranger to this. So he goes a day's journey. He came and sat down under a tree. He requested for himself that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord. Verse 4, take away my life. I'm not better than my father's. He lay down and slept under a juniper tree. He probably needed the rest. That was the first thing. You know, if Jesus got away and went to the mountain 
or if he told his disciples, hey, let's break away and let's just go and rest, he probably needed this. It was a proactive thing, this first part. What was going on in his head when he says, I'm no better than my forefathers, it was after he got this word and probably the, the fanciful thoughts that he had, and we're all prone to this as to what would happen after the big breakthrough, suddenly, boom, why is this woman still here? Why is this still happening? He had to have processed that. You and I would have processed that. You know, you have the, the great time on the mountaintop, and you come down and you think, what in the world's going on? What in the, what in the wide world of sports is going on here? You know, you've got, you've got that happening. And, and you know, it's, it's a processing. And we're going to talk more about that as this, this one thing, because I... I really believe this is where a number of us are right now. A number of you in this great moment in the Lord are processing why certain things you thought would happen aren't happening and what you really think should be happening, why that's not happening, and why doesn't everybody hear this just the same way I am? Everybody's missing it. We're all prone to that. And one of the things that God needs to hammer out of us is that kind of reliance because his ways are not our ways, and he delights in mysteries. He loves the mystery. When you pray in your diverse tongues, you're praying mysteries. And uh, when we interpret, we think God's going to tell us exactly what's going on, but we're really just interpreting mysteries. Think about that. <laughs> we're laying the groundwork for the mystery that we're going to think, wow, I didn't see that coming. You've been praying it. So uh, one of the things that we've got to be is that contrite measure of flowing with whatever the wind of the Spirit wants to do, and we need to make sure that our thoughts, righteous though they may be, don't clump together because the wind of the Spirit looking for contrition doesn't know what to do with that kind of, of uh, even holy thought. So he's resting there. The angel comes and touches him and says, you know, eat. The angel made some angel food cake for him there and a cruise of water. And um, then the angel came again the second time because he was laying down again. Now, this time, I think it was probably more from, ah, what's the use? The first time, I think, was, was expected. I mean, he'd just been through an amazing thing. And as I said, the Scripture tells us over and over again, even in the life of Jesus, that you've got to come to that point before the Lord where you allow him to reset. And if you don't, if you just run on, you're going to be deficient. And that's not a good point to be in. But the second time when he, when he says the same thing, you know, uh, I really... Yeah, I'm not any better than my father's. You know, the way I processed this, it didn't come about the way I thought it would have been. And, of course, then the enemy's there. Well, if you'd just done this different, or, hey, you didn't remember to do this. Why didn't you think of that? Why didn't you do this? And maybe you don't think that way, but I sure do. And, oh, you need to get past that, Pastor. Well, you tell me, any of these major pastors or leaders that you just are enthralled by, how do you think they manage the great kingdom that they built that's reached out to you on a daily thing? They're not a bunch of dummies. They process things. They even have teams of people around them to help them process. So if you think that everybody just blows like a feather, like a Forrest Gump feather on the wind, think again. I remember Don Potter and, and Rick Joyner used to say, some of you come to our conferences and you think about moving to Charlotte or Winsboro. Don't do it. It is not like what happens during conferences. It is, it is an regular, everyday work, so don't do it. We used to, it's hard to imagine, but when we first had the, the Spirit release things here and we were still exploring what that meant, and God opened the door and people started coming. Do you know how many people said, we want to move to Dallas? How many? A lot from Europe, other places. So many people were packing up the truck, and they were not moving to Beverly. They were moving here. 
And, well, you could move to Beverly and here at the same time. But um, the, the point, though, is, though, that um, we, we have to recognize that God brings visitations and God, God gives us directives and um, we have to be careful to obey and, but, but what happens then is up to the Lord. What happens then is his plan. And obviously, from what he was saying after what we're going to talk about today, we'll finally get around to what we're supposed to talk about today. Uh, he, he, he starts telling him about anointing Haziel to be king of, of, uh, of Syria and uh, anointing uh, Elisha and calling him and laying things out. God was well aware that Jezebel would still be there right then. Because a prophet doesn't kill a king. That, that's that, if we had a, a pneumaticos board game, that would be a rule. Lots of prophets have tried. <laughs> They've tried to kill pastors. They've tried to kill leaders. Because those so-and-sos just aren't following the Lord. Not our prophets, of course. But... You know, we've seen that kind of thing. I've heard that kind of thing when we go about. And you have to be really careful. But um, the point, though, is, is that God, God obviously knew. He, he didn't give, he didn't, Ahab was up on the top of that mountain. Why didn't, why didn't Elijah just take that blood-soaked sword and do the work that, that everybody wanted him to do? Instead, he gives him a, hey, tell him to get in the chariot and get down the mountain because there's an abundance of rain. That was what Elijah did with Ahab. He was not directed to do away with the king or that wicked woman that he was married to. Wouldn't that have been great? It would have solved the whole thing, wouldn't it have? Hey, Elijah, you got that sword dripping with blood. There's one more. See that dude over there hanging around the fancy chariot? Do him in. And then send a couple people to knock off his wife while you're at it. And then we're cooking with gas. We've got it going. We'll just eliminate it all right now. There had been probably a lot of thus says the Lord's about that action, right? But God didn't do it that way. And, uh, you know, the, the, Elijah, he had to be thinking, the, the, the most powerful bullseye on him where that evil word from Jezebel came was, why is this still happening? We've, we've, the drought has been broken in amazing ways. All the fire fell from heaven. All of these wicked ones, the main ones, are done. I mean done. Not canceled. I mean killed. Why is this still happening? You had to process that. Oh, no, not again. Why are we still dealing with this? Have you ever had that happen where you, you have a major visitation from the Lord and wonderful things happen, even miracles, and then when, when the, 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 the goosebump of the last goosebump of the presence of the Lord kind of settles down, you think, why is that still here? Why am I still dealing with this? Did I not bind and rebuke enough? Did I not hear enough right teaching? Did somebody fail me? You know, what? all the wacky things we think. And it's just like when the people came into the land, uh, with all of their errors, God said, I'm not going to get rid of all of these ites because I don't want you to forget how to follow me, to war for me, and to trust me. Isn't that strange? That's strange. So we, it's easy to become uh, filled with the Spirit and drunk in the Spirit, as it were. And in, in that euphoria to have our mind, which is you always can't really trust the mind when it comes to the things of the Spirit, you know, they if the Bible says that the natural mind is at enmity, it means it. And our mind can join in and, you know, can't beat them, join them, and come up with all kinds of things. And you have to be really careful with that 
to, to, to know what God is interpreting and what is truly what he's saying. And most of the time, hear me now, that's going to be incomplete. I remember when we first started teaching about interpretation and doing fivefolds, there were some notable leaders who aren't here anymore who said, well, that doesn't tell me anything to that degree, you know. You got all these words, they're great, but it's not telling me what to do next. Well, <laughs> we'll take a seat and take a number because God's telling us what we need for this next moment. It's a walk of faith. He's not zeroed in, you know, on a GPS from heaven where you can do what some of us do when you enter it into ways or whatever and you flip ahead to see, okay, it's going to have me turn here and here and there. That's what I always do. Because in your driving, that's not the time to be looking at that little screen, you know. I want to kind of have it in my head. So when it says, turn right, that you know, okay, as soon as I turn right, I've, it seems like I'm supposed to be doing this next. God gives us enough for the next step with the confidence that everything's going to be fine. So he finally makes this 40-day and 40-night journey to Horeb. And uh, verse 9, here we go. He came thither unto a cave, lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said unto him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous, and that's a good word, that's kana, for the Lord God of hosts. I want your ways. The children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've slain your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Let's stop right there, okay? Um, what doest thou here, Elijah? If you look at the, um, the words that contribute to that translation, you'll find that it's kind of tricky because essentially what was God, God was saying is Elijah in kind of a, an emphatic Elijah. Doesn't say shook him, that comes next, but there was a very definitive word. In fact, it's kind of a stretch to say, what doest thou here? It's hard to, to, to translate that. It was, it was a focus word on his name, kind of like when some of you were parents or, or some of you were kids. And maybe you did something that was not really what you should do. And your mom would say, Dennis. I, I figured I'd pin in point one that that had to have happened. With <laughs> what, my, my mom, Ronnie. And, and, you know, doesn't have to say, what are you doing? Or why'd you do that? What were you thinking? None of those. The way that word was said communicated all of it. And that's what this was. You know, it's, that's a challenge we have because what God's really looking for is just you and me at that moment. At that moment, he doesn't want to hear about yesterday. He doesn't want to hear about what you thought. He doesn't want to hear about you forecasting ahead. He was a prophet after all. This was right then. And that's a challenge that we have a lot of times when we come together to pray. When Don't we say this? And this has happened millions of times, so I'm not singling anybody out. We're all guilty of this, and we all have been guilty of this. Um, we wanna, we're going to pray, and then we're going to hear, what is God saying today? I remember, and he's dead now, so I can say this. He doesn't, he doesn't care. But we remember when Charles Baker used to come up and, and we'd say, uh, you know, we, who, wants, who has a testimony uh, now, we're, 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 we're not going to talk about five years ago. We're not going to talk about ten years ago. It's just what, what's happening right now. And, and it was just like, whew. 
14 years ago. You know, and you think, whoa, 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 whoa. We, we are all guilty of that. Elijah. God was looking for that moment. And that is a prominent thing. And what he begins by saying is really, the first part is not bad. You know, God, I've devoted myself to your jealousy, which is a good thing, the jealousy of the Lord. I, I want what you want. I'm insisting on what you want. We're a far cry from it. But look at these people. Ah, oh, here's where he starts, his vectoring goes off a little bit. And then he gets into, I haven't accomplished anything. Have you ever felt that before? Oh, it can be a crutch. I know I felt it in my life. Um, you, you know God's doing this. The Spirit of the Lord is with you. The angels are with you. He's speaking to you through the night. The Word is coming alive. All of these things. And then you see a great victory. And it is a great victory. Everybody says, yay! And then you think, what did we really accomplish? You know, one of the things about doing this for such a long time, and this isn't a mea culpa, I'm saying this to you for you. So just disregard the fact that I'm speaking from my perspective. These are all things that, to some degree or another, every one of you should have to be dealing with. Because it's just what's common to men and women. But there have been times where I've, I may not have said, just let me die. I might have said, just, can I quit? You know? And, and if you think that a leader never, never says that, wake up, little Susie. Wake up. It happens. You felt it. I felt it. Elijah, he felt it. God was focusing on that moment. And it's very difficult for people when they come before the Lord to focus on the moment. He goes off on a litany to things that he needed to remind God he was doing. His past. His forefathers were even drug into it. These people all around, as if God didn't know what had been happening. And... He says it again in a few minutes. What doest thou here, Elijah? He gives him a second. He gives him a redo. And he basically says the same thing. We're still not to the heart of what we're going to be sharing today. But the, uh, the unique thing is, is that what doest thou here? Verse 14, I've been very jealous. Let's go ahead and read 9 through 13. I stopped us. I've been very jealous, verse 10, for the Lord of hosts, for the children of Israel, forsaken thy covenant, thrown down your altar, slain your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. I don't know if this was the same place that Moses stood, because it was Horeb. It was, it was that lawgiver's mount. We don't know that, but a similar thing had happened there. And the Lord passed by. The Lord passed by. That sounds familiar too, didn't it? And a great and strong wind rent the mountains, broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And so it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering into the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? What does all this mean? I've heard some preachers who don't like the moving of the Spirit and who don't like any manifestations at all who have railed on this passage. I want you to know tonight that many of you are looking for this to happen. God is not in that, they'll say with certainty. Well, God was there. And who was creating this stuff? God was creating it. So this was the hand of the Lord. 
What was really happening there? Do you think God thought, you know, Elijah needs a little wake-up call. He needs a little pyrotechnic display. It'll be like Tim the Enchanter in the, the Holy Grail. Everybody's there clapping. No, that's not what this was. God passed by just as he did with Moses, and then he let Moses see his glory from behind. God showed him what he had just been doing. It says that there was a great, let's read it. This was talking about the Ruach of the Lord. A great and strong Ruach. What does that mean? Great and strong, just you can boil it down, do your own studies. But the first one is, it is a preeminent, controlling, authoritative word. That was great. Hadzak meant the power to do something. So this Ruach was notable, and it was capable, which everything that we do begins, should begin, with the Spirit of the Lord. That's what God came down in the Ruach of the day, back in Genesis, the early part, to meet with Adam and Eve. Anytime you're in, in voice thunders, lightnings, and earthquake progression, the first thing begins with you accepting the Ruach of the Lord and beginning to call out on behalf of that and with that empowerment. So God is showing this measure, and that wind begins to break mountains, to rend it. Some of the greatest, and break in pieces the rocks before the ways of God. Some of the greatest mountain and pieces of rock that you will ever break apart are in our own heart. He had to break a lot of rock with me. I don't know about you, but I know when the Ruach of the Lord began to deal in my life, there was a lot of contrition going on. Otherwise, there would not have been any thunder. And the breaking of those mountains and the renting of the rocks to make them small before the Lord came about as a result of that ruach. And that's the beginning of the voice, thunders, lightnings, earthquakes thing, which then culminates in earthquake. The next thing, the Lord was not in the wind because it was the aftermath. The Lord sure was in the beginning because the wind was him. The initiator of the process was him. But as he passed by and then let Elijah see it, God was, had already done this. He was just showing Elijah what had happened in the earthquake. This is, this is something that I really was blessed by last night going into early this morning in study, because we've talked about earthquakes. We've talked about this. We've studied about it, the voice thunders, lightnings, earthquakes, progression, turning things back to what the, those that have turned the world upside down have come nigh into us. You know, we've talked about that. But I was, <laughs> it's another one of those things where I was never led to study this, but I was led to do it today. The, the word translated as, as ra'as, basically goes back to ra'ah. And ra'ah is in its, in its form that was back through the Aramaic meant that something was broken. Now, we've talked about ra'ah, and we've talked about all the variations being shepherds. Mark referenced how Cyrus was a ra'ah of the Lord. Mentioned that today in Sunday school. And, you know, we've, we've talked about it in the standpoint of being able to see the right path from the wrong path and to guide the sheep in the way they should go. Uh, to be able to discern and, and, and to make, make uh, proper assessment of the pathway that should be followed, and God, God sees in that way. But it all goes back to the issue of 
something being broken or undeveloped. And we talked about how uh, that is uh, a convolution of, of purpose. But how, how can God eternally see that way if, if it's just focused on how the enemy broke something? Well, the enemy did break things. That's one of the things about iniquity. That's one of the things that the, that the holy, that the saints pray for, is that what God originally intended would be brought back in line. There was a breaking there. But what are we going to do when Satan has been put away and forever in the abyss? How does, that, how, how does the eyes of the Lord, does, does God go and have a, a divine surgery of some sort to change the way he sees? There's always going to be something that God wants to do. He's never going to run out of creative power. He's always in that. And, and the, the place that there is going to be the visitation of creativity come throughout eternity, if we look at it that far in advance, we would say, well, you know, in light of what God's going to do, this void here sure is well below what he wants. It's the essence of faith. Can you believe? Really, if, if you take this where something is broken and you're trying to see how it's broken to the end of seeing a restoration or the end of seeing something repaired, is, is the essence of what we do. And if you extrapolate further, and some of you can do this, I looked at it in three different lexicons just to make sure I wasn't misreading one. Every one of them said the same thing. Do you know the end result of ra'ah, something broken, comes down to rafa? You look at it for yourself. And, and that talks about restoring of holiness, or restoring of wholeness, and then there's another extrapolation that goes on, and we've talked about this some, and it kind of makes people think, how does that happen? Because it talks about the crossover point. Same word, rofa, the crossover point from this world to the next, which is the ultimate for us measure of this world has been living below the privilege. Now we welcome heaven. Now we enter the heavens and we come back. And that, that bridge is finally gone. It was the place of giants, but it's the place of being mighty in the Lord. So God's original intent for you and me, we're living far below that. We're supposed to rule and reign with him. We're supposed to be joint heirs. Are we fully in that place now? No, we're not. I think everybody here would say, yeah, it, you know, what does the epistle say? If we say that we're perfect, we deceive ourselves. But God is leading us to that point. Now, here's another factor with this. I said that earthquake is coming off of that, ra'as. And if you, if you look at these, let's just hear some of the ways these derivations are used in Scripture. It can mean to shake. It can mean the shattering of an enemy to, to crush or to make something that was an opposition into the dust. It can mean something that was bad or wrong, something that was broken. And it can mean the sound of, the sound of how thundering affects a scenario. Now, we know that thunder in the celestial is Q-O-L, call. But this word speaks about like if there's a, a cavalry unit coming, heavy horse, the thundering that shakes. It, it, it's used to talk about how that creation shakes at the coming of the Lord. It talks about how the, the mountains shake and tremble. It talks about the, everything that will be shaken is going to be shaken. Uh, you know, all of those things are this word. So when God gets about the process of earthquaking, it's him saying, something that I want is broken. It's far from what I want it to be. And I am going to visit that to whatever degree in the, in the final process 
is inconsequential to me because I'm all about the journey. It is going to be what I want. But you partner with me. You're going to see my shaking. I'm going to take it to the point that I need it to come to that point. And then you're going to have a drawdown, a spiritual hunger, as it were, for you to come to me again. And you go through the process again. That's earthquake. And it goes all the way back to Ra'ah. But it goes beyond what we have known Ra'ah, as true as that is, to something that's broken. Isn't that something? And then you take the spectrum all the way to the other end, and it ends with Rapa. That's earthquaking. And, and again, we've studied about the various times in the Scripture that, um, that God visits things with an earthquake. What we often don't look at next is what happens two or three verses later. Remember, Peter and John were threatened. They were mistreated because they'd healed a guy. And they come back to where the church was hiding. And they pray this prayer. Now, Lord, behold their threatenings. And they're going to throw a few prosukes in there. And God shakes the place and the Spirit's filled. What happens three or four verses later? The church is growing. But, man, there's a guy named Paul that's coming after him, throwing people in the huskau you know, killing people. You know, I wonder if any of them thought, well, no, wait a second. What was, all, what was that whole lot of shaking that was going on over there? What was that spirit filling us? We were filled with boldness. I'm not any better than my father's. Well, look at what we're dealing with here. But God knows his ways. Yeah, he was going to take care of Jezebel, and he did. He was positioning Elijah in those directives that were given, beginning at verse, um, let's see, 15. You anoint this guy. You anoint this guy. You set this in motion. You find this guy to minister in your room. And then even some prophets that are unnamed prophets. Can you imagine that kind of a thing? They come, and they speak words to kings, and they speak words here. And God does this work. And by and by, Jezebel's tossed down out the window, and the dogs are licking up blood, and God, God's taking names, and he's going to do what needs to be done. But that wasn't for Elijah. He had another calling. You know, he had a responsibility for these schools, he had the responsibility for that circuit. He had the responsibility for Elisha. I think, and I'm not faulting him, it's another one of those, Elijah, what have I really called you to do? Are we arguing about your forefathers? It's just you and me here, buddy. Are we arguing about what you thought I should have done that I didn't do? How about this moment right now? Can you narrow it all down and just meet me right now? Elijah. And this earthquake comes. And then after that, a fire, possibility, function, but directed in the places that God said, this has to come online now. But God wasn't in any of that. Why? Because that had already happened. The Lord had passed by, just like with Moses, hundreds of years before. At that same mountain, God passed by, and then Elijah saw. A ruach, he was reminded, the voice thunders, lightnings, earthquakes, the fire. That's the culmination of the ways of God. Judgment and burning. Things are in position. Now I'm igniting something. So you have a compilation here of voice, thunders, lightnings, earthquakes, and the ways of God. And God is standing there showing him this. Why wasn't God in it, even though he's the same yesterday and today and forever? Because that stuff had already happened. And it was functional now. And so God says to him again, Elijah, what am I saying? Right? Why are you here? What am I saying to you right now? Now, he goes through the same song and dance. I'm not faulting him. 
Listen, this is very real stuff. We can talk about how Elijah, Elijah, I heard preachers say this, oh, his own personal walk wasn't as strong. And, you know, you did, when was the last time you talked to Elijah? How do you know that? Who are you to say? You don't know what he faced. I think I may have also said that years ago because I read it out of the same commentary. This is a very powerful thing to be in the atmosphere of the Lord when God is doing something monumental. And Elijah. So, but the, but the earthquake business, the shaking, you know, the thundering, this happens in us. I know it happened in me. We used to see people um, who would be literally shaken. There were others who would be like Daniel, I'm undone, shaken within. And the, the objective is to not just keep getting shaken. People sometimes get addicted to the shaking, and they want to go around and be shaken all the time. Well, I haven't been shaken in a while. I must be far from God. Listen, it's not about the shaking. It's what you do as a result of the shaking. And, but, but that point may look a whole lot different. And if, if, you, if you're viewing it wrong, then you may think, well, God didn't do enough, or I need another shaking, and I'm no better than my forefathers. What are you doing right now? Who I made you to be for this moment, Elijah. And that can be said to us. At this moment, you know, we've just, we're on such a miracle pathway as saints. You know, again, I go back through, even since late December, leading up through June, the amazing one after another things that God was doing. And then we come into this war zone of heat. And I don't know what you've been doing, but I've been praying and asking the Lord, you know, because we've seen this happen dozens and dozens of times. You ask for rain, it's there. And there's something bigger going on right now. And it's God's faithful, but there's, there is, there's, there is a, I don't want to say warfare, but there's contention in the, in the realm beyond us. It's, it's a bigger thing. It's kind of like, you know, you, you read journals of warfare. And, um, you know, I, I read uh, a military history about uh, World War II recently and Patton's discussions with Eisenhower about um, how he needed more fuel. And if he had just had more fuel, he could break through the line and go on into Germany. And Eisenhower said, no. To, to Beetle Smith, no, you, you, no, because it's needed over here, and secondly, we need this movement. And, you know, sometimes, I mean, we came through these big times, and we're looking forward to what's coming in this year of breakthrough, and we're still in it. And you have the drawdown where you come back from another continent and and you've seen two continents touched in quick time and you wonderful things happening and and then you feel god going and and you think what does that mean and then this big war is going on over here in the spirit realm and we're part of it but god's saying okay just wait just just wait we can get real confused with that who are we we're right where we're supposed to be. The question is, do we realize that? And can we shed ourselves of all the other things and just hear the voice of the Lord calling our name? Samuel, Samuel. Wow, how did God get a word in edgewise and the nonsense that was going on in Shiloh? 
If I had to wait in the middle of the night when everybody's asleep, but he could whisper to Samuel. So you see this, and um, I, I think that we're in one of those times, and it's a good time. Can anybody question whether God was still in control here in 1 Kings 19? Of course he was. Had God missed timing? Of course not. This, uh, we, we probably don't give enough credence to a 40-day fasting journey for, for an older man to go all the way down to Horeb. That, out running a chariot was one thing. Making that long journey, fasting? Now, he had angelic food. The journey is too great for the eat. But, man, that, that's amazing. That, do you think God did? Seems to me that I've read about 40 days and 40 nights before. That seems to me that that was a transitional thing that happened every now and then, and it was big. And what did Jesus do after 40 days and 40 nights? The angels of the Lord had to come and minister to him. What about this guy? I'm standing up for Elijah here. But I'm also saying that we are in a moment that is ordained by God, and I don't want us to miss what it is that God is wanting in your life. I mean, there's so many voices crying out to all of us, aren't there? So many responsibilities, so many things. And somewhere in the middle of it is God. He's calling our name. Can we come into that closet and separate all the stuff? Push it out. Oh, you don't know how hard that is. Everybody's relying on me. Well, God is. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just calling it like it is. Set it aside and let him have you in that moment. It's not for you to say, don't you see how much I had to do? It's so awful. It's so hard. Why haven't you done this? Why aren't you doing this? Get all that stuff out. Don't say it. God, you don't need to be saying that. We want to. That's what we're supposed to do at prayer time. Come on down and lay your butts on the altar. You know, isn't that what we're supposed to do at prayer time? Just come up and just stain the thing with tears and Tell them all about our problems. He will hear our famous cry. Yet, isn't that what we're supposed to do when we pray? That's what we've been taught. We've sung about it. We've even stood and worshipped singing. But God says, for now, Elijah, can I talk to you about right now, just you and me, not about what's happened, not about what you had to do yesterday, not about what's coming next week, but just right now. That's where we are. Do you think God you think God has that amount of time with all these other things we've got to have done? Can you think maybe if we seek first the kingdom and his righteousness that he might just do some miracles in adding to us all the things that we need? Maybe, could be. Of course it is. He's calling us, and I, I just know that even though it may not feel like it for many of you, God's blessing you. It's just that these are trying times, and uh, there are a lot of demands. We've had great victories, and I'm ending. We've, we've seen wonderful things. There are things to come, but in this moment, in this moment, What's God saying to you in this moment? That's what he wants. Because the end result is not in question. <laughs> Victory's on the way. It's just that God, in his delight of being on this journey of faith with you, wants this time with you. That's the essence of it. Come. Where do you want me to go, Lord? I got a place in mind. 
you know, I'm, I met with somebody that wrote a lot of stuff that you teach. I met with him down here. How about if you come down here and meet with me? He didn't say it in that way. And the final thing I'll say is, well, yeah, but you're talking about Moses and Elijah, both of whom ended up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, another mount at another time of transition. Do you think God loves Moses and Elijah more than you? Do you think that out of the two time frames where you're living right now and what they faced, which is most important in the timetable of God? Jesus said back when he was walking the earth as fully man, fully God, do you know that the prophets would have longed to have lived in the days you're living in? I wonder what he's saying now. You've been entrusted before the throne. The Son of God gave his life for you. He's calling your name. So enjoy him. Yeah, the problems will still be here next week. But if you meet with God now, who knows what he'll do about those. Meet with him. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your presence. We love you. Thank you for the way that you've led us. Even at the beginning of this time in here today, in here, the girls were singing about the promises that you've given and who we are in you. We know that to be true. You're not finished with us yet. Each one of us has a mission. The best wine has been reserved for last. And you are, you are going to do things that you promised in your way, in your timing. Help us to open ourselves to you. We're used to having somebody else come along and opening, helping open the door. This is just your myrrh is on the handle. Can we get up out of bed and let you in? That's the question. And I pray that we will. It'll save us for a whole lot of searching later on. If we just do it now, you're calling our name. And I, I do ask that you will meet the needs of your people. I declare that. I establish that. That's going to happen. But the biggest need we have right now is to meet with you. And so, Father, I bless this house. I bless the houses of the saints, no matter what they may be facing, no matter what families might be saying to people. That's not happening here. But well, no matter what may be happening in other places, you are with each one of those mighty saints. Help us to hear from you. Let us put ourselves in a position to where when we wrap our mantle around our head, we'll hear that still, small voice. That voice that is a whisper, but also that voice that is the promise of something that's going to grow next because that's what still small means. We have to eliminate things on the backdrop of our purpose that you've given and anointed us to, to serve in. We have to position ourselves to hear you, but to know that what you're going to say is the seed of the next thing that's coming. That's what we've got to have from you. And you want to give it. That's precious to you. We've been here before. We've heard the still small voice. You've got more to say in both of those capacities. We want to hear you because we love you. And we want to serve you. We want to fulfill your purpose in our lives. And this we will do because of you. We love you, Lord, and we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Well, thanks, everybody. Uh, this was a, just time us kids just sit around and talk. But you're there, so let's act like it. Amen? God bless you all. Thanks for being here. Thanks for tuning in. Bye.